Hello and welcome to today's edition of the Business Excellence Podcast. My name is Rail Bricker coming to you from Perth, Western Australia. And with me is my co-host, Lindsay Adams from Brisbane, Australia. Hello and welcome. For a value added extra, excellencepodcast.com has heaps of free resources for you to download. That is excellencepodcast.com. And today our guest is Chris Grant from Melbourne, Australia. Chris is the CEO of the ASPL Group. Welcome, Chris. Thank you, Lindsay, for having me. It's uh, it's a pleasure to have you here. And you've got a, an interesting background and some interesting passion, and leadership's one of them. What made you want to pursue leadership training and consulting as a career? I started off, believe it or not, in finance, which everyone is kind of shocked at, given my personality. And I had a natural aptitude for uh, people and leading people and I really found there was a gap in the market after doing large-scale organisations with some of the consulting firms with really investing back into people. So that's probably what uh, started me on my crusade and I am very passionate about um, leadership and, more importantly, how do we invest to um, back into our people to you know, so that they can be successful. I mean, are you talking about? So, so your passion is 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 human centered leadership, like that. You know, the, unfortunately, there's a lot of people out there supposedly doing high level corporate leadership coaching, leadership training. What's missing there? I think, firstly, what's missing is that you can't be trained to be a leader in a day. <laughs> so those one-day leadership um, offerings just, uh, you know, it just doesn't happen. That's actually what was offered to me when I was younger. Um, so we've spent a lot of time going, okay, well, how do we shift the traits and behaviours that we all bring to the workplace, which is obviously around neuroscience, and really looking at, well, how do you bring in some of that self-awareness and that self-resilience that's needed as a leader? of today uh, and so that's why we are slightly different our leadership courses generally run from eight weeks to 16 weeks and they have to do a lot of self-reflection and they have to really you know spend the time working through on shifting some of those patterns of behavior behaviors so your um you focus on people-centric leadership and, uh, you know, I think that, that's, that is important. How does that actually help drive business excellence, though? I mean, you know, mostly we're fo focused on the bottom line, making money. How does focusing on people make that difference or make a difference? I think that by focusing on uh, human-centred or people uh, leadership, it actually obviously increases engagement and that would obviously help the bottom line if it's the bottom line, if it's, you know, a or a shareholder. Uh, there's a lot of leadership courses, as I said, or there's a lot of leaders out there that really don't get out in front of their people still. And more importantly, if you can increase engagement with your people, you'll increase productivity and, uh, and ultimately cost. So, so you say increase engagement. I mean, 
you know, when I was at business school, and I'm going to date myself now because that was in the 80s, um, in the late 80s, I might add, the the one concept that came out from uh, Japan, actually, initially, and, and, and then was adopted by a lot of Americans, was this concept of management by walking around, MBWA. All right, and 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 that's that was there, but and then it lost favor for many many years. But mm-hmm. it always struck me as that was what leaders needed to be doing was was walking around, was was stopping at people's desks and saying how are you, and then actually listening to the answer, and and not uh, you know like the the local politician I saw a few weeks ago who shook hands, and I'm only five foot six. He shook hands and was looking over my head to see who else he could talk to in the room. You know, and so, you know, what is it about that, you know, that that engagement? You've used that word a number of times. How do leaders really engage with their people? I think you're spot on, Fastly. You need to get out of your office. Or if you're in a virtual environment, you need to uh, get online with your people and you need to listen to them and really um, make them feel valued. And more important, I call it the pampered pooch syndrome (laughs) where they're kind of like my lovely apple who's a cavoodle where they're very very special that needs to stop (laughs) like you need to get out in front of your people that's how you can increase um engagement and look even if you can't get out in, in front of your people all the time then there's many ways that you can communicate and more importantly you need to speak to your leadership team so they can communicate as well so you take a neuroscience approach. Yes. So how about listeners understand more about that? What, what does that mean exactly? So we all have patterns of behaviour that we have had since we were younger and we bring them all basically into the workplace. So that could be, you know, you maybe have some unconscious bias. You might actually have a pattern of behaviour that you're not even aware of that you may want to change. So using a neuroscience approach, it works on, well, how can I, I'll use an example. So I always say energy is the new currency for any leadership role. We all need to maximise our energy by actually learning about neuroscience and learning more about yourself and learning about how do I maximise my energy like an athlete, then it will condition you to be more effective as a leader. So that kind of makes sense. I'm giving you an example of what is part of our leadership. Uh, There's all different types. Obviously, self-reflection is a huge part of uh, neuroscience, but the other one which we really, really hone in on, which is a real challenge for leaders at the moment or workforces is the amount of meetings we all have to go to and no one is actually conscious or present in those that's meetings. That's true, yeah. Right? So that's the neuro, that's what we teach. Well, instead of wasting hours and hours on endless meetings, if you can increase what I would like to call consciousness or, or um, awareness, then I'm sure you'll get a lot more out of your day without having to do another 15 hours every day to be an effective leader. So, you know, two things you you, you said there, you know, there's an old saying that, that that says that meetings are places where minutes are kept and hours are lost. Yes, and that, 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 I like that. 
<laughs> that's uh, that's one of my favorite sayings because I have the attention span of a goldfish normally, and so so you know I I don't like that. But I, two years ago, I ended up speaking at a a conference in Southeast Asia in in um, Nepal, and it was the Agile Scrum or the Agile Conference for Southeast Asia. And what I learned about Agile was exactly what you were talking about now, which is they have a daily meeting, but it's a standing meeting for 10 minutes, maybe 20, very structured, but that's it. And then they go off and do their own tasks for the day, and they gather the next morning to reflect on those tasks and reflect on what needs to be done in that day. Now, in a lot of leadership roles, you can't make daily decisions like like in a particular Agile project. But but how much more effective would we be if we could bring all our meetings to standing meetings of 10 minutes? I think we'd get a lot more done. Yeah, we do the uh, daily stand-up ourselves. <laughs> okay. So uh, even on the teams. So there are a lot of uh, agencies or departments or corporations that have obviously incorporated that, probably not enough. I think what happens is there's so much governance as well that they just have endless meetings. Uh, without agendas and people just start then we talk about neuroscience they start their subconscious just goes wild and they're thinking about like what am I going to have for dinner what am I going to do what's my next meeting and then on top of that there's probably emailing and doing a thousand different things rather than being conscious of the actual meeting that's going ahead so it's just wasting so much time do you think working remotely has contributed to that I mean it's so easy now to be to have a couple of screens open and uh, be at a meeting, but be checking your email or watching a video or goodness knows what, watching the stock market. Um, do you think that that's a, a product of the current age that we live in? Mm, I think that interestingly enough, um, Lindsay, especially um, as the first couple of lockdowns, everyone, all the execs were saying they've got Zoom fatigue. So I think initially when everyone didn't realise they could turn their cameras off, everyone was like, wow, I have to be present during my meetings because everyone's looking at me, right? Whereas I probably didn't have that in an actual room as well, not um, the focus. So I think everyone's like, Chris, I don't know how you do this all day. Like how are you talking all day? And I said, because I've got to train myself to it and I'm really good at like not um, allowing my uh, subconscious to, to really delve in while I'm, you know, delivering or talking. But most people aren't doing that. So I think initially there was, I'm sure you saw or heard about Zoom fatigue. I think that fatigue was actually the fact that they had to be conscious or present for longer than they were used to. So it's an interesting one because I, you know, uh, if I never have to go to another Zoom meeting, I'm, I'm not going to be that distressed, I have to tell you. Um so do you think then that, um, uh, you know, there's a lot of talk now that, well, people will stay working from home. They won't go back to an office environment. Um, efficiencies have gone up. I mean, Microsoft have reported a 20% increase in efficiency since they sent all their staff home. And they're now looking at their leasing all around the world to, to cut it back to accommodate people working from home because it obviously works better. However, I wonder... Will people um, miss the face-to-face -face interaction and will that impact on their ability to be good leaders, not having the face-to-face -face interaction? I think there's a couple of things that are happening, especially in Australia. So there's a big push, obviously, from state and territory government to get everyone back into the city and offices. 
Whereas where leaders need to go, well, instead of just ticking the box and saying I've got 50% of my workforce back, why don't you actually plan for them to come back into the office? So all those uh, activities such as collaboration or team building or whatever it may be, how about you do it back in the office and allow them the time um, if they do want to work from home to um, actually do the, you know, more of their quieter activities from home. What's happening is they're just replicating what they're doing during the day um, back at home, back into the office. So they really need to think about, well, how can I take some of the innovation out of COVID and work out, you know, all those things such as incidental learning and collaboration. Let's do that as a team back in the office. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, so you work or ASPL Group works um, primarily with large corporates and governments. So that's your, that's where you, where you positioned. Um, yes. Well, at least publicly, but I'm sure if smaller companies wanted to work with you, they could. Yes. Um, in those groups, you know, and and working at a, at a senior management level. You know what? What other mistakes are you seeing leaders making? You know what? What are you going? Oh my god, wow. that is just so silly. You know, and I know the list is probably long. So, so you know, but, yes. but let's look at a couple of those examples. Let's explore them. I mean, you know, I, I just think that's the the real value that we're getting out of things like like podcasting, for instance, is people sharing those experiences with our listeners and going, and they're going. Oh, I see that in my boss, or I, I see that in myself. And so, how do I change? So, what are some of those mistakes that you're seeing? I think some of the mistakes that I see are not getting out in front of their people. Okay. <laughs> what we spoke about. Yeah. I think that whole command and control style of leadership um, uh, has been problematic throughout COVID as in they didn't have as much control. So there was a lot of HR issues that came out of that. That's that's interesting. I mean, when you get the converse, which is Microsoft saying 20% increase in productivity. Yeah. Um, I mean, is this is going to sound, you know, is, is command and control a male thing? No. Uh, and I'm using, and I'm using gender there specifically, but you know, it, or is it across the board? I think it's across the board. Okay. Oh, from what I can see, it's across the board. Fair enough. And I think then if you do, there is a place for command and control, right? But it's also about being vulnerable to your people as well, not just being command and control and having some level of EQ to really pick up on some of the cues that are going on. You know, people are far more complex and they've got a lot more challenges now due to COVID as well. So, so building on the, um, the the leadership by walking around or management by walking around, you know, one of the the old fashioned things we could do in a face to face environment was have the, the the water cooler conversation or the you know we're making a cup of coffee let's have a chat in the kitchen kind of conversation. We, we can't do that so easily anymore. So how does a leader actually connect with their people to have those casual conversations in a in an online world? I think you've got to allow time for it um, either pre or post meeting or just call them up and speak to them and be more casual. I think that the reality is that you're going to have to try and, you know, have those same sorts of conversations um, in this type of environment now. 
I mean, when we first, our first lockdown in Australia, in Western Australia, um, at, the, at the beginning of COVID, um, I took my team and I have about 15 staff and I said to them, guys, every morning at nine o'clock, we're going to have our scrum because I was really motivated because I just finished speaking at the Agile conference. Um, but I said to them, it's not, we're going to have a Zoom meeting, but I want you to do two things. I want you to take your laptop because I had made sure all the staff had laptops to work from home. Mm-hmm. I said, I want you to take your laptop and go and sit outside your house, go and be in a different place to where you work so that for those 10 minutes you focused, but I am making the second rule that you have to have your camera on. Now, because I wanted to see their face, I wanted to, as the, as the leader of the organization, I wanted to see their face. I wanted to then, and there were a number of times where we finished the meeting and I picked up the phone and said, you did not look right. What's wrong? Okay, let's have a one-on-one. What I would do in the office is I'd go past them and say, when you get a chance, pop into my office and let's have a conversation. And so it was that kind of environment. Um, but I could see a lot of leaders struggling with that, with 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 not having – someone described someone the other day to me as having a high IQ and a low EQ. Yeah, um, spot on. There's some good tips, actually, and I'm the same. So I always, whenever I'm doing any sort of video, I'm always saying, video on. I think that's just respectful as well, to be honest. Um, But more importantly, you need to look at as, you know, patterns of behaviour for your people. It's a really good sign if there's something up with them, if you're just doing on, like if you're doing remote, um, um, if all your people are remote, such as, you know, turning up at a different time or exactly what you just said, like just looking at them and realising that sometimes there might be something wrong and just asking them, are they okay? Yeah. Yep. Great advice. Sadly, Chris, I'm I'm looking at my clock here and we are almost out of time. If our listeners wanted to get in touch with you, what's the simplest way for them to do that? I, I jump on our website, so www.aspl.net.au, um, and it's all from there. It's very easy sure. to get in touch with me. Too easy. Thank you, Chris. Oh, thank you to both of you. And thank you for joining us from on your travels you know we don't remember what those things are called travel <laughs> for most people around the world so so about 50 percent of our le- of our listenership is not in australia so where the rest of the world hasn't really opened up for travel that much so so thank you for joining us on your travels from a hotel room um and joining us for this episode of the business excellence podcast and this is rail bricker from perth western australia signing off for another edition of the Business Excellence Podcast with a reminder to pop along to excellencepodcast.com where there are amazingly free resources for you to help you on your journey to excellence, including the 48-page ebook, Building Excellence. This is Rail Bricker signing off.